everyone and welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I'm Trace, one of the three of people that you're going to hear today. And I'm Julian, two of the, no, the second of three people. I'm not two people yet. I'm one person, another regular <laughs> host of this podcast. And today we have another very special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Virginia Schutte and I am a scientist turned talker with people uh, number three of here. Nailed it. Oh, I love that. Number You're three I'm of so here. Good at Nailed this. it. Number wow. three wow. over here. Yeah, that's the <laughs> fraction. This is our first time ever doing a remote record, so I hope it goes really well. I think it's going to go great. I'm in New York. Julian is in Los Angeles, and Virginia is in New Jersey. So part. I guess Virginia and I could have just gone and visited. That's true. We could have like, I don't know, had pie together or something. That would have, we, we missed an opportunity. But I, I would have... I mean, we just I would have felt so left out. Together. I would have been one of one person here. I, I like it better this way. It's more democratic. <laughs> I like that, too. All right. Well, so if you haven't listened to this show before, we bring on guests or Julian and I sit together quietly in a room and we talk about absurd questions. Maybe something that you come up with in the shower while you're driving, something that your kid asks you. We answer those questions with the scientific communication rigor that you have been known to expect from... Julian, myself, and now, of course, Virginia as well. So each question is something ridiculous, and we're going to dig into the actual science that we can find on it. Uh, starting us off this week, Julian, why don't you go first? Uh, you know, this week, actually, I'd say it's our first not really a science question, but it was intriguing, and I had to jump on it. It's more linguistic-related. Hey there, my name's Paul from Melbourne, Australia, and my question for you guys is, who invented alphabetical order and why? I know a little bit about the history, the Greeks, alpha, beta, delta, etc., but well, was it for record-keeping? I'm really curious. Let me know. Thanks. This is a great question, Paul, because I feel like the alphabetical order that we take for granted, I mean, it had to have been invented at some point, right? Like this jumble of letters had to be put in some standardized order by somebody somewhere for some reason. And I want to know why. And I also jumped on it because recently I've gotten kind of into um language YouTube. Oh. Uh, there's a fantastic YouTube channel called Rob Words, and he just breaks down kind of anything you can imagine about not just English, but other languages as well. Like when he's traveling in Japan or something, he'll kind of give you some basics on how Japanese works, that sort of thing. But he, the first video I watched from him was actually the origin of the letters that we use in the English alphabet, and it was fascinating. Mm. So... To start with history, because I feel like that's I mean, a logical yeah. place to begin. <laughs> to begin at the beginning. Starts. Good. It's yeah. Uh, you know, he Paul mentions that he knows that the Greek letters are where we get things like the alphabet, right? Alpha, beta. Uh, but you have to go farther back than that to uh, well, you can trace it. Before them, there was the Phoenicians. You can me it, and then before that, hmm? you can me it. You. You can trace it. Ah, uh, I see. I yes, yes, trace. You can you it all the way back. Oh my gosh! Another podcast idea: tracing history. Oh okay, moving on. <laughs> no. Pin in it. Not listening. We'll come back to it. No. Wow, Virginia. Wow. I know. You're welcome. Wow. You're welcome. You've been a guest for five minutes. <laughs> so much sass. <laughs> Critique it. Mm, bad idea. Bad podcast. Would not be a guest or listener. 
So you can go back. Uh, the Phoenicians uh, had an, uh, their own alphabet before that, but they got it from somebody else. They got it from uh, the North Semitic tribes, and then before them, the Proto Semitic, which are the Canaanite people, you know, and like the around the Sinai Peninsula. Totally, yeah, totally got it. Yeah, then, yeah totally. <laughs> but going all the way back, it probably starts with Egyptian hieroglyphs. So hieroglyphs, right, are these symbols that, I mean, they literally mean sacred writing because they were used to adorn huh. tombs and other sacred objects. And each character, you know, represents an idea or a thing. But the workers that were probably actually building a lot of these tombs, these Canaanites, these ancient Semitic peoples, would take the hieroglyphics and they would take like the sound that they started with and they would just use them to be basically the beginnings of their own alphabet. And they would take like the symbol for an ox. And in Egyptian, it was a different word, but in uh, Proto-Semitic, it was Aleph is the, the word for ox. And so they would take this ox shape and they would say, okay, that represents the ah sound that you see in Aleph, their word for ox, or their word for house is bet. So the Egyptian hieroglyph for house, they would take it and they would be like, this represents the B sound, like in our word for house, bet. And I think you can pretty quickly see you've got Aleph and bet where you can see where this is going. I can. So it, <laughs> it takes this path right around, uh, you know, the ancient Middle East and it, it goes eventually to the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians were a trading people. They invented and the hooked on phonics, right? The Well, that is where the word phonetic <laughs> comes from, right? This idea of like characters that represent sounds comes from the Phoenicians because they took these letters and they introduced the Greeks to these because they would trade with the Greeks. But the Phoenicians had a 22-character alphabet, and it was all consonants. Because oh, ancient wow. Yeah. So it's license Jeez. plates. Ugh. License plates come from the Phoenicians. Then. It was all license yeah. plates. Okay. That's right. If you needed to get the name of that boat, right. you know, you'd be like, that, the Phoenician trader almost ran me over. Quick. And then you got to copy down like Gamma, Delta. <laughs> Write it down. Quick, quick. No, no. But you've got to press it into Cuna. Form, like clay tablets. Yeah, like, get your clay tablet wet. <laughs> <laughs> so mad. Yeah, that's the. So these, by the way, early writing was in cuneiform, right? Which is literally like pressing a wedge, a stick into some soft clay to form uh, a shape, and that's your your tablet. So all the early letters were very like straight sided, uh, basically. But the Phoenicians also, like I said, only had 22 characters in their alphabet, and it was all consonants. And that's because the Phoenician language would use um, like vowel, different vowel sounds to indicate tense. So they would really only care about the the consonant, different like letters in it, and then they would insert their own vowels like based on oh, tense. Wow. The Greeks, though, needed to include vowels. Because the Greek language is more like ours, where we change tense by changing like the suffix mm -hmm, of a word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they added uh, their own vowels, and they changed some of these unused characters uh, for sounds that they didn't have to represent vowels. So you start getting uh, letters like, well, actually, omega and omicron were the Greeks because they needed to differentiate between a big O, omega, and a small O. Oh, micron. Oh, Omicron. wow. Shut the front I, door. This seems so Doesn't logical. That, 
What? Doesn't that blow <laughs> your <does>. mind? <laughs> wow. We, we science geeks, we use omega and omicron all the time. Small o, o micron. Hmm. So the Greeks introduced these and they, they start doing something that's pretty typical where when they need new letters, they just kind of tack it on to the end, right? Like the, the Phoenician alphabet goes up to basically T. And then as you add more stuff on, you put it on the end. So the Greek alphabet at one point ends with uh, Omega, which is why you'll see like when uh, the Bible God is talking about how they are everything, they'll say, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So you take these new letters and you tack them on the end. So the alphabet starts growing. Uh, we start adding, you know, characters for sounds that we do need. But you can still see the basic order is there. Like A and B are together. L, M, N are together. P, Q, R. Like, this is just there in order. And here we're, we're kind of coming to the answer to Paul's question, which is nobody knows why that order got settled. What? I'm sorry to say it. It just kind of happened. Huh. And everybody stuck wow. with it. You know what? And though there's got to be like one guy. Oh, I know. Like, I was thinking he was that the, nobody he was the just mixed up alphabet anything. guy. He like showed up and was like, "I'm sorry, L and M don't belong together." <laughs> yeah, somebody trying to to like logic it <laughs> out, and they come up with this really. clearly belongs with B because B is just an L with a couple of humps <laughs> with a butt. In, B is an L with a so with a booty. Should be next, it should be A. V, W, X, Y, B, L, like, ugh, makes more sense. Yeah, and they would be like, why isn't, why isn't it catching on? They would travel ancient Greece from island to island, selling their new alphabet, or their, their libra. What if there was, like, some kind of, so you know how um, people are cage fighting because of social media, maybe, soon? What if there was, like, some dominant, like, ritual and everybody was so upset by the outcome or something, they just didn't write down that this was how they decided this was the order. Mm. It was people fought about it, like, physically, or, like, they had a pie-making... I'm all about pie today. They had some kind of dessert competition, and the winner got Which to Which is choose. a Greek letter. Oh, so true. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could be anything. Ah. It could be anything. Or what if the record was lost in a fire? Because they were like, you would never believe this, the feat of strength. So here's the amazing thing. It's so funny you bring up a fire. Is the ancient cuneiform clay tabs that we found that have some of the first um, alphabets in order, which are known as abecedarians, by the way, they survived to this day about 3,000 years because they were in a fire and the fire (gasps) baked the clay (laughs) and preserved it. Love that. I love history. So a fire in this specific instance good for historical records not good in other instances as we will see (gasps) another fun note about the greeks meddling with the phoenicians is the phoenicians wrote from right to left and the greeks started out doing that and then they started writing i can't pronounce this word boost boostrophedon style (laughs) which is where which is, yes, bustier wise, <laughs> which is where you zigzag like a game of Atari Snake. That makes like no you sense. go right to left and then down a line and then left to right. But eventually the Greeks settled on writing from left to right. Huh. So the Greeks, though, they're all in different you know, city states. And so each city state kind of develops its own alphabet. And you see this over and over where different peoples, when they adopt uh, characters, they tweak them and change them based on the needs of their own language. Right. Mm-hmm. So the Greeks eventually from the island of Euboa set up colonies in 
northern ancient Italy, and they run into the Etruscans, and the Etruscans are like, hey, this is a good idea using, you know, characters to represent sounds. So they adopt it, and they adapt it as well. And so, like, the letters, uh, you know, that we know of as A, B, C, D, in Greek, they're alpha, beta, gamma, delta, right? It seems like it's A, B, G, D. Right. But the Etruscans use C and G interchangeably, right? Like, the word, the name... Gaius is kind of, it's sort of in between. It's like Gaius or Caius. Hmm. And so they use that gamma as a C. And so the alphabet becomes A, B, C, D. And then that eventually spreads down to the Romans uh, down farther south. They turn it into the Latin alphabet, like adjusting it a little bit. And then they start conquering most of Europe. And so the Latin alphabet spreads. And they make a few adjustments, like they adapt the I to, to also have kind of a J sound by adding a little tail. So instead of putting J at the end, they put it next to I. Uh, they use V and U interchangeably as both a vowel and a consonant. Crazy. So those two are huh. one in the same letter at this point. And then they bring in a few more sounds from Greek, like Y and Z, like when they want to say Zeus, and they put that at the end. They also bring back some letters that Etruscans stopped using, and you can actually tell the difference today based on the name of the letter. So Etruscans, uh, when they wouldn't use a letter and it would fall out of use, right, like they've just stopped writing it, but their language ended usually with a, a closed consonant sound. So letters that have a, a closed consonant, like at the end, uh, are Etruscan, like commonly used Etruscan words. I'm trying to think. Yeah, of, can you give me an example? Close I got one. Mouth. L, right? It like, you he starts like, with a vowel. L. L. And ends with L, right? So those were more commonly used in Etruscan. When the Romans adopt it and they bring some letters back, Latin ends with open vowel sounds. So letters like B and D are words that were are letters that reintroduced by the Romans. Hmm. So you can see like historically kind of that divide in the modern alphabet. That's why some begin with a vowel sound and some end with a vowel sound, which I thought was fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I've always I've always actually wondered that. Well, that, that yeah, uh, I'm like thinking about yeah. every letter now. So, yeah, you're I'm mostly thinking still about the fighting. Like this, the, the cage I, I'm, fighting. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you're running through all this. Like, oh, these people added these on, and they then they took these away, and then like, oh, it all came together. And, and I'm thinking, like, where were the fights? There, there had to be okay. fights. I mean, there people was a would lot stand in the street let's, and be like, you can't speak like that. Let's get to the fights, and it, there is actually oh, yes, fights please. over yes. using alphabetical order. <gasps> yes, really? Because this yeah. is what I'm here for. Here, okay, for the cage fights. Virginia's here for the <laughs> drama and the pie. <laughs> yeah, so. Eventually, right, we get the 26 letters that we know today uh, by the Romans adopting the, the Etruscan and adding some Greek. And then we get like capital letters from the Romans and the lower cases come from like more. I'm doing the YMCA as I sit here <laughs> yeah. as Virginia's pointing <laughs> out. Julian keeps Nobody can see it, but I'm, I'm like with my entire body. I'm like forming so out all so the different letters. I could never fight that. <laughs> so uh yeah and we get like our lowercase from more european uh tribes that also adopted this and we get some letters from more germanic tribes like w we needed a sound for a lot of uh germanic words that wasn't represented so we take that v and we double it and that happened before v and u were separate letters so that's why w looks like two v's Wow. Even though it doesn't make sense, it doesn't look like two U's. Yes, Trace. Trace had a question. It's funny that you call them uppercase and lowercase because the printing press hadn't been invented yet. And that's where that name comes from. So they would have had a different name when they were invented. 
Oh my god, this is outside the scope well, of my it research. Is, but just, oh. <laughs> just a quick, just a quick brief because just because I brought it up. The upper case was literally above, like it was a, a when you oh, when you set oh my a gosh, when you set, a yeah, when you set no. type, you had a case of upper, you had a box of upper case, or it was literally oh. the upper. You had a box of tall letters and you had a box of short letters, like small letters, and so you would take from the upper case to do, uh, and then the lower case. Oh my gosh! Uh, and that was, and so yeah, I know. And so what did they call? What did they call them? Probably like Omicron or something. Well, yeah. what if they're you called know. capital letters because those were the ones like the capital? Oh, from the Roman capital? Or, or oh. I mean, I'm just saying, like. Dec- <laughs> we need a history person on this sciencey podcast. Someone is listening and being it. like, tell I us. know this. This is great. That. Oh my! I'm just discovering that I do not think about the world around me carefully enough. But like, that's kind of been a theme. I didn't realize my birthday was all ones until I was like 16, and I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> 16 of these have gone by, and I didn't realize it was 1-1-1. Cool. I'm kind of an idiot. Anyway, so... <laughs> so back to, to the, the double EVs. <laughs> to the fights. <laughs> okay, so you have this alphabetical order that basically gets fixed because people just keep using it that way. There's a lot of theories as to why. I think it's just a good way to make sure that you're not forgetting any letters when you're learning a new alphabet, right? Like, there's 26, and if you don't have an established order, it's easy to lose track of them. But we didn't use it for classification of things until actually fairly recently. Like, there were other methods of arranging information. The Library of Alexandria probably used alphabetical order, like putting things by order of the author's name. Uh, But then in this instance, fire bad. The library was burned down by a vandal. Very famously. So, you know, we're, we're not so sure about that. But after that, there were different systems for ordering different things. Until the 12th or 13th century, uh, monasteries, you know, they only had less than 100 books in them. So sorting them wasn't really an issue. There's only like 100. It's not that hard to keep track of all of them. And alphabetical order for things was considered kind of against nature and God. Like if you were to put a, you know, make a dictionary and put angel before deus, God, oh. you would look like an idiot. You, what are you doing putting God later in the dictionary? That's of course the thinking. angels come first, right? Fights. Yeah. What? So it's more hierarchical in nature. Hmm. Or like oh. um, uh, English kings, when they would have like a, a registry of all the land in their kingdom, it wasn't based on alphabetical order. It was all like right, we got most Aaron, valuable. Aaron's. What does he own? He owns. Okay, <laughs> right. he got over here. That's Aaron. Aaron. And He's all got the peasants are listed. Two last. piles of mud <laughs> and three sticks. <laughs> and the king so, says, "Kill that guy. Kill that kill guy." I will I want his mud. I'm first. <laughs> Aaron Aronson. Him and his sons, Aronson, son, and Aaron Kill Aronson. All the Aarons. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. So this is, oh my gosh. I'm thinking about how everybody like gets to know the people that are alphabetical order with them best in school. So all the chi- like childhood sweethearts that were like, their last names happen to start with the same letter. Oh, so yeah. then all this yeah. is reinforcing the peasantry and, <laughs> and the like court people stand next to court people. <laughs> Can you imagine a, oh, a non-egalitarian gosh. system in, in feudal Europe? The, it would have caused fights. Thought. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Virginia's a scrapper. She is. I know. She lives in New I'm Jersey. Learning. Makes sense. The good part. The good part of Jersey. The good part. Thank you. There are she lots of us pies where I live. Yes. Off air. Yeah. The good. Lots of Greek letters around there. <laughs> so alphabetical order starts emerging later, and in the 1800s, like 1818, is when the Encyclopedia Britannica is published in alphabetical order. Too much controversy, apparently. Wow. Tell me like, the controversy. Yeah. Okay. So, like, there was a poet, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who thought that alphabetical order was nonsensical. He thought it was arbitrary and stupid. He's like, why Why are you going to disperse all the information? Like, he compared it to a shattered mirror, you know? Ooh. I mean, Sammy's he's not like, wrong, but, like, what isn't arbitrary? I really? know. Like, how else yeah. do you find things? Yeah. So, he vowed to make his own encyclopedia, oh, the gosh. Encyclopedia <laughs> Metropolitana, which was going to have everything, you know, relevant to each other all close together. A surprise, surprise, he never finished. Mm. Oh. But I think he should have he should have called it like Encyclopedia and then something with an A as like a middle finger to Britannica to mm. be like, oh, if you think alphabetical order is so important, mine comes before yours. He didn't, have right? good, but, didn't have a good PR minded friend who was like, you should no. name it. A.A. Driving School. <laughs> it comes first in the when book. you open up the yellow pen, the phone book, and you'd be like, what's a phone? Never heard of that. Is that like a pile of mud? <laughs> I, I just do everything based on my modern sticks. That's if I can put in that. <laughs> I did not bring enough impressions to this discussion. I am not ready. <laughs> Listen, we practice them on the fly over here. So if you want to just try one out for yeah, size, this it. is They're a all bad. judgment-free. I like pie. <laughs> Fights. <laughs> that's the typical I'm New a, Jersey accent I'm around an her older area. Lady <laughs> with discerning taste. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm glad you tried. That was great. So, <laughs> you're so welcome. So Everyone yeah, listening, you're welcome. <laughs> So to recap, alphabetical order basically just came about because somebody starting it started doing it that way and wrote it down, and then we just kept doing it. But we didn't necessarily use it for actual classification and ordering of things until in the last couple hundred years or so, from what I can find. And before that, it was more like hierarchical, which is great if you have like forehand knowledge of things, then you can go and look stuff up. But the advantage of alphabetical is you can have no clue like where to even start just like a letter and you can still find what you're looking for. So then I got to thinking too, when did the song come about? Oh, you know? snap. Oh. If we've got if we've got this song, like this order, at what point does the song also like establish and reinforce that order? Yeah. After a twinkle twinkle little star, oh, right? You boy, you are just a big old thunder stealer today. <gasps> yes. Oh, no. Edit me out. Yes. No, that's no, great. No, no. You're right. You know how is, I Ugh. is the alphabet song probably came about after other songs, possibly including Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, but definitely after a French folk song. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> so so this French folk song was like Mozart wrote variations of it, and one of those became kind of the basis for the alphabet song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Ba Ba Black Sheep. The French song, by the way, is, and I'm going to butcher this, Ah, vous dirigez maman. Oh, that which didn't is, sound butchered. That, that was actually fantastic. pretty okay. Thank you. I'm Thank you. I'm going to accept that. Which is, uh, 
ah, shall I tell you, mother? And the, <laughs> the words are, ah, mother, if I could tell you what causes my torment. No, wait, Julian, oh, you wow. have to say yes. it in the song. Oh, oh, can we, I want to do a dramatic reading, oh. and I think we should include, like, accordion sad music underneath this. So I'll let oh. Kyle cue that up, and then I'll begin. Ah, mother, if I could tell you what causes my torment. <laughs> Father wants me to reason like a grown-up, but I say sweets are worth more than reason. <laughs> It's about a kid who wants candy, I'm but it snapping. uses the word <laughs> torment. I'm snapping for you. I'm snapping. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. But yeah, apparently, like, the tune of that, which is, like, Trace was singing, A vous mama, was later used in 1838 as the basis for the alphabet song, which was written by Charles Bradley. And the full title of song, the song was The ABC, a German air with variations for the flute with an easy accompaniment for the piano forte. Oh my god! I mean, the easy accompaniment is true. Every little kid learns that song, so good job. Yeah. Well labeled. Furthermore... He copyrighted the song, which I think is a dick move. It is a dick move. Oh, I was thinking it was brilliant, but I'm here for the fights. <laughs> but yeah, that was in 1838 when he set the tune to that hmm. Mozart's version of this French folk song. There's also, I just want to add, a German uh, version of that song that uses the tune, and it's called Ist das nicht ein Schnitzelbank? Oh. Which means, Aww. is this a schnitzelbank? <laughs> it's like a carving bench for, like, carpentry or something. Ah, it's a okay. schnitzelbank. But, yeah, you sing it to, like, the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The last thing I wanted to look into, right, is how other languages that don't use phonetic spelling systems... Uh, handle orders mm. and or like looking things up and it was actually really fascinating the languages I thought of were like Chinese or Japanese and so if you want to look up a word in a Chinese dictionary like if you see the the writing which is uh, Hanzi is in Chinese what what you call the symbols you first look at how many radicals there are which are like the little ticks mm. on the left of the symbol. You go to a book that divides everything by radical. You go to the section with the correct number of radicals. And then you look at the Hanzi, how many strokes it took to write the rest of it. And you go to the section that has like the uh, symbols that take that many strokes. And then it tells you like what the word is. Huh. Yeah. And then Japanese gets a little more confusing because Japanese borrowed these symbols for a lot of their words uh, and they called them kanji. But they have two other writing systems. Uh, that are syllables, right? And so these two systems are called hiragana and katakana. They have the exact same 46 syllable sounds, but one is for like uh, native words and one is for onomatopoeias and foreign words. So when you see like Japanese candy or whatever and it's got the writing on it, that's katakana. And those are organized in like a grid of 50. It's like divided up by one axis is like the vowel sounds and one is the consonant sound that goes in front of it. And so you Using this grid of 50, you get like an order that you can go and you know, look things up in if you need to. But there is a Japanese poem that children learn that teaches them 
all of these uh, different syllable sounds. And I wanted to end on this because it's honestly kind of beautiful and sad and bittersweet. Oh. Yeah. I'm not okay. ready to be sad. It's it's okay. We'll be happy later. We'll fight later. You'll love that. Great. Yes. On board. So okay. The poem is Iroha. It's a perfect pangram. So it uses all 46 of the Japanese characters uh, exactly one time. Uh, wow. I could I could read you the English. Do you want me to attempt to read it in Japanese? Obviously, yes, we do. Okay. All right. Um, I think this one is going to need <clears throat> Kyle, some Kyle, like cue up some music. Yeah, some like flute accompaniment, Let's right? Do it. From like Ghost of Ghost of Tsushima or something. Okay, here we go. Imagine we're sitting in a beautiful Japanese garden. There are cherry blossoms falling into a koi pond, and now you hear this. Iroa niedo. Chirinuru o waga o yo tarezo. Sune naran uino okuyama. Kyokoete asaki yume miji yoimo sezu. There's your, there's, thank you. Do you, you thank speak you. Japanese or did you make I that up? I took one semester. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so here's what it translates to it. It's actually so beautiful. Even the blossoming flowers' colors are fragrant, but they will eventually scatter. Who in our world shall always be? The deep mountains of karma, we cross them today, and we shall not have superficial dreams, nor be deluded. It's so good! Ah. It's so good! That is so cool. Yeah, wow. so it, that's like a, a poem that you can learn in Japanese that teaches you all of the different syllable sounds, but it's like this really poignant meditation on like the, the transient nature of life. I, it's so great. And then we got A, B, A, B C, C, D. <laughs> they changed the alphabet song. My kids are learning a different alphabet song. <gasps> Tell me I more. Know. Yeah, I know. I heard That's it absurd. like once. Uh, yeah, it, it's Please like they changed, they changed where the syllables are, and I have forgotten it. But instead of being A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's like they did something like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, oh, M, wow. N, O, P. That's, like that okay, kind of thing bop. where they just... They change mm. it like where mm. it kind of sits. I wonder about is, that sometimes. But but I've, I've forgotten because it was so awful to hear. I feel like they might have just had a school teacher with no rhythm, like somebody who claps <laughs> on the one and the three. <laughs> and and they taught the alphabet song and nobody had the heart to be like, that's not how that goes. Like there's it's so much more like homogenous. There's less musicality there. It's less interesting. Um that's funny. I have heard of attempts to update it sometimes. Like, you know the symbol ampersand? Yes. Like, it's the and symbol that you see sometimes in, like, names of law firms and stuff. Mm -hmm. Or Barnes & Noble. Those don't exist anymore. Anyway. They do. Ask your parents, kids, what Barnes & Noble <laughs> was. So, the ampersand symbol has its name because at one point it was introduced at the end of the alphabet. And they, when they taught the song, they would say, you know, X, Y, Z, and per se, and. What? I did. I yeah, did like, that. oh, I and also like we've it. added this symbol that means and, and so it just got shortened to ampersand, ampersand but it's short I for hate it. and per se. I hate se, it so much. I and. would fight someone about that particular thing. Virginia is raring to go. I, just, <laughs> listen. Wow, a lot of coffee <laughs> today. It's not a letter. <laughs> it's not it's not a, a symbol that represents a whole ass word. <laughs> and the letters are in the alphabet before it. 
<sighs> I mean, the you next thing you it. know, they'll start putting apostrophes into the alphabet, and then like Why? also, I just. Why not just include whole words, right? Like ah. cat, and then be like, and per se cat, and then like so, a little meow emoji. Interestingly that you say that, Virginia, because when I learned Spanish in high school, also to age myself, there were extra letters. There were more letters than what we have. There was mm-hmm. the double L and the che sound and the enye. And like, mm-hmm. that. now we're like, oh, well, you just put two L. <laughs> just take a C and an H, you put it together. But, like, at the time, that was a letter. So we had to learn the alphabet with extra letters. Of course, it still apparently has 27 letters in it, I'm Googling. But, I was going to uh, say, I thought there was still the an N-yay. extra letter in the right. Spanish There's got to be the enye. But the double L used to be a letter in the alphabet. I learned that, too. Right. I didn't realize that it was no longer they a letter in, in the alphabet. They removed it in, according to my quick Google, the year 2010, the Royal Spanish Academy removed the letters Listen, I was not ready to come in. I was not ready to come in and fight about this stuff, but, like, I don't I don't like, I don't like it. You don't like I change, just, See, I, Virginia. You no, like no. See, I think this historical context has given me perspective on how nothing is set in stone, and that's not really supposed to be a cuneiform uh, pun, but, but it is. Really <laughs> I was was. Thinking, but, unless it gets fired up and baked. <laughs> uh, unless your house burns down. Uh, your ancient Sumerian house. But the languages are always evolving and alphabets always mm-hmm. evolve to adapt with mm-hmm. them, right? Like mm-hmm. people take them, they shape them. And so sure it's in like a pretty established order, but it's still, you know, acceptable to change it and and adapt it and move on based on what the needs of the language are. It's always been that way and I don't see why it should change. That's awesome. What a good way to end your segment. Thanks, Julian. And thank you, Paul, no problem. for asking your question. That was such a fun exploration. I hope you got a satisfying answer. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back for Virginia's question. If you've turned into this, turned into it? You've <laughs> turned you, into one. You've turned into a science comedy podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work? If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it. If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? Aren't we? We are, right? We're cool. I mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely, but like, oh, uh, their houses. Anyway, <laughs> this is all to say I am super excited about our new sponsor, Brilliant. Yay! Can I kind of get a little, like, you know, in my feels for a second? Oh, yeah. Get those feels. Elaborate, please. Hey, I see what you did there. I am exactly the kind of person that Brilliant was made for. I have always been interested in math, physics, computer science. When I had the chance to study these things in college years ago, I was also really intimidated by them. Yeah. And I avoided taking these classes. And honestly, I regret it. I'm going back now. I'm taking classes at my local community college. I'm loving it. Yeah. But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore, and I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged. You can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM's 
subjects all across the platform. Their lessons are engaging and interactive. You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations, computer science, Python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today. Large language models, really be great now. <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language models. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Gaelic, though. The large language that you can learn is Gaelic. Yeah, ship that. I'm in. We can finally communicate with the Scots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level. Or, you know, just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data. That's cool. That's really cool. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class. Oh, totally. And if you haven't taken one, here's your chance. You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would appreciate that. Try it out. You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org slash absurd or click the link in the show notes. Once again, that's brilliant.org slash absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription and it supports the show, even just trying it out. So go ahead check it out, maybe get sucked into a few lessons. Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back, if you get back. Oh, I hope you get back. They come back and they know more than us about everything. <laughs> They're just like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> their brains are the size, this huge brain coming out of their cranium. I've absorbed all knowledge. Why do I listen to this podcast of dummies? I have no time for your absurd antics. <laughs> But I would definitely take one on large language models. Uh, a cool. Scottish AI robot that nobody can understand. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> turn on the lights. Sorry. <laughs> I'm the burglar alarm. <laughs> it supports the show. It'll be great. <laughs> and we're back. Okay, Virginia, did you fight anyone during the break? I only fought myself trying to stop myself from getting a piece of pie because I knew we'd have to talk again on air and I didn't want to spray my mic with crumbles. I do love pie. This place must have legendary pie where you are. Listen, I thought New Jersey was the garden state because it was full of mansions and rich people with like their private, but no, it's because the rain falls at a pretty consistent rate throughout all the years. So it's good for growing crops. So there's like a ton of food up here and it's great. Mm. Huh. Like, like rhubarb pie and... Blueberry we just pie. had cherry season as we are recording. Mm, cherry pie. I don't like baked mm. fruit, but I can do baked berries. Let's move on. The, so, <laughs> what's the dividing line? I'm just trying to think. Like, what is it about berries versus fruit? I was, I was thinking, okay, I then not, don't come visit, Trish. I refuse to eat a plant ovary. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like baked apples. That's what fruit is. I don't know why you had to say that, though. <laughs> <laughs> you could just have not. See, now that's why Trace won't do it. That's it. Yeah. I'm like oh, I'm like vegan smart. but for fruit. <laughs> I'm vegan but for wholesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> so Virginia, tell me yes. what question did you have? What if humans had the capabilities of mantis shrimp? Wow. And wow. this question does come from a listener. Samara D. She's asked a couple of questions and she did clarify what if humans had more color vision or armored skin or super fast punches? So I have to say, I have a marine biology background. <gasps> and the instant I saw mantis shrimp, I was like, that that is the question I am going to cover. Because mantis shrimp are 
the best. They are the best. So I'm going to start with a description of mantis shrimp. I would invite anyone who's just laying around to get out of advice and image search mantis shrimp. But for those of you who are listening and you can't look at things with your eyeballs other than whatever it is you're doing, imagine if Lisa Frank drew a cartoon version of a wiener dog sitting with its back legs down and its front legs up and then like kind of abstracted it a little bit. That is that what is I am imagining. Sort of. <laughs> that is... It is... That- can you be my Pictionary partner from now on? That was an amazing I description. And wow, person. it is so accurate. Wow. So people think of shrimp as these like scrawny, like if you took your hand and made a C out of it, like that's kind of the size and shape you get. And it's like gray or pinkish. And it, I don't know, it's tasty or like not good to eat depending on who you are and what your eating preferences are. Mantis shrimp are like, if you started at your wrist, their tail ends at your elbow. They are humongous. I didn't know that. I always pictured them as quite tiny. Oh, I I mean, it varies depending on species. But the ones that I've seen in real life are huge. And they call them thumb splitters is one of their nicknames, these big ones, because they can they can like break your bones if you mishandle them. Um, You're right that some of them are smaller, but they also I was I learned about them in a marine lab in Florida for the first time. And this person like demonstrated how you have to like get them from the back and lift them up and it's like legs were dangling. And anyway, they said that they have problems keeping the mantis shrimp in their tanks because their punches are so powerful that they can like crack and then break some kinds of materials. So often if you run an aquarium facility, you'll like scoop something up in a net and then plomp it in like a little bucket while you clean their water in the main tank or something. You have to be so careful with these guys though, because they will just do their little punchy thing. And anyway, I need to talk about, yes. It's a fighting animal. That's why Virginia likes it. so much more sense now. It's spicy and it's It's, colorful. It's the Mike Tyson of the sea. Yes. Okay. So the reason I said it looks a little bit like a puppy dog is they have like part of their body is these almost fan-like things. And it looks like a floppy-eared bunny or a floppy-eared dog. And then they have eyes that are round and on stalks and they can rotate independently. So they have, it looks like huge puppy dog eyes with like ears on the side and their arms are really important for what I'm about to describe if you it looks awkward on a human but imagine a shrimp if you were to stick your elbows out in front of you and then let your wrists dangle down in front of you like that's the kind of pose that they adopt a lot of times when you see them pictured in front of their burrows so they have these like huge round eyes these little droopy ear looking things and they look like they're coming at you like may I have some pie or maybe a oh, fire kind of like a praying mantis with yes, their arms mantis right? shrimp that's exactly right. It's exactly right. Okay. Oh, that makes so this sense. is the obvious capabilities that I wanted to focus on first. Mantis shrimp are named mantis shrimp because those little dangly front leg pieces sometimes will look like mantis front legs. There are two kind of main types of mantis shrimp. People call them smashers or spearers. Smashers are the doing the elbow thing like I described. If you put your elbows out in front of you and you let things dangle down, only they have a big club at the end. And what they do is if you've got your you know things dang- dangling down, they'll whip their club out in front of them as if you are throwing a punch just like you think you would, but your elbow stays in the same spot. So you swing your fist up real quick. They can punch and spear. Spearers have an extra like joint. So our arms have forearm and then the part from the elbow to the shoulder, which I don't know what it's called. Um, Obviously, it's to be the, the aft arm. The forearm and the aft arm. I love that. Forearm, aft Yeah, that's lo- so logical. Uh, Spearers have another piece. So they have 
they go out and have one elbow. They go out and they have another elbow. And then they end in like a pointy spear, just like a praying mantis you'd think of. And they use their spear. So clubbers will bash things. Spearers will either try to like poke them in key places or they'll just spear them like a kebab if they're if they're hunting something. The spears, the spearing and the clubbing happens at like 50 miles an hour. Whoa. It is so fast that it makes what I'm calling a bomb bubble. So when you get impact, like let's say a club collides with the shell of a crab or something, it creates a bubble that has vapor inside and the bubble will burst. So the thing that's getting punched gets a double impact from the punch itself and then from this little bubble collapsing, it like creates a shock wave. So even if the punch misses, sometimes that shock of the collapsing bubble is enough to stun the prey. Oh, so it like moves water out of the way so fast yes. that there's like a void that has to then collapse again. And then you get away. Okay. I'm saying got yes, it. like I'm very confident. And that sounds about right, but I don't actually, I didn't look up the I can't imagine how else it would work. Yeah, it's like, a bomb I don't, bubble. I, I don't, yes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Something about speed, and then you have a bubble and vapor, and then it collapses. It's like a bomb. It seems like so, that would be about right, though. But, you know, fact yeah. check us, audience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let me know how bad I am wrong. So, yes. Smashers and spears. So these are the obvious things that I think, you know, we're asked about and then the eyes. We'll get to those in a second. So if humans had these capabilities, then we would have a harder time eating like at a buffet is the thing I thought of first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining the mantis shrimp buffet and just... Little fish and crabs just getting shot all over the place. And the poor... The poor busboy or whatever has to mop everything up. It's like, ah, oh, I hate Manus Shrimp Tuesdays. Like, so I was thinking about... There was a typo on the flyer. They were supposed to be serving shrimp, but they accidentally invited the shrimp. <laughs> and now you've got to live with the consequences. I just want to go back so to my I was mom. thinking about... <laughs> just like my ancestors. So I started thinking about high society for spearing shrimp. And how mm. you would be coached to put your, you would be coached to slow down. You know, you don't like, you don't have to spear everything at 50 miles an hour, you know, Sandy. Instead, you gracefully hook your little tip through the teacup edge and then bring it to your. <laughs> I, Clearly. You know, this may be outside the scope of things that are easy to research, but I'm almost wondering if it's possible for them to, you know, have a slower arm action, right? Oh, because what a good question. I imagine it's probably just like, some nerves that fire at a certain, you know, determined speed and just poof, launches that, like, triggers that muscle all at once. I was picturing more like, aren't they, don't they have an exoskeleton and perhaps there's some literal mechanical action involved? But I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. I'm definitely imagining a stratified shrimp society, though, where the spearers are more elegant <laughs> and the clubbers are like the brutes. They're the ones so they the do sticks. live in different places. Um, I think oh. one of them lives in Sandy. I think the Spearers live in Sandy and the Clubbers live in like soft things. So mud and sand smashing make burrows and like hard things. Um, and yeah. the Smashers too, I think I think they're going to be the ones that get like cast as the poorer characters in the shrimp movies. Because the Smashers will often use their smashing once a thing is dead to like break their meal into pieces that they can eat more easily. 
I don't know if the spirits yeah. do that, but it feels to me like people would look at them and be like, barbarians, peasants. Yeah. Smashing shrimp. The smashers are smashing it up. The spirits are like <laughs> sticking like hot dog on a stick. And the yes. smashers are like, I'm going to smash my hot dog. <laughs> or like. <laughs> the other thing I thought about. So, again, the question was, what if humans had these capabilities? So I know that I was probably supposed to talk about like superpowers and all that. But I was thinking about buffets first. And then I was thinking about like, OK, how would people exploit this power? So people would be like, I can play golf with my fists or like, oh. I don't know. I can oh, like wow. I'm thinking of all sorts of teenage shrimp boys that were like, wait, watch what I can spear. And they like spear themselves into a tree and then they lift their little back legs up and they're like, look at me <laughs> or, or something like this is where my mind goes. Honestly, <laughs> I like all of that. About those things. Think of the sports. <laughs> That's how they go viral on shrimp talk. <laughs> We'd have some okay. really good sports if people could punch <laughs> at 50 miles an hour we would probably Ooh, not I mean, boxing would be i don't insane. think we would even do boxing because they would it would be outlawed they'd be like they will that person dies they would be dead <laughs> so so can you imagine a mantis shrimp with little boxing gloves on them oh yeah. it would be so cute oh, oh, or fencing <gasps> for the spearers I, I bet they do that i bet if you like the people who handle aquarium stuff, like what if they try, it would not be worth it at all. I was just thinking about trying to put gloves on it so you could handle it more easily and like, no, that would not be worth it. No. No way. No, I don't think so. They would bomb bubble their way out of that, I think, real quick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. I'm imagining, you imagining the aquarium workers after dark putting the mantis shrimp together (laughs) in like a pit and like throwing dollar bills like who's going to win the fencing match. (laughs) Um, Peacock mantis shrimp fighting. (laughs) So they do have very complex social lives, and they do fight a lot. So this would actually, I think, be a thing that would come about with these capabilities in humans, is we would just be like, you know what? We're all just going to fight. Because we would have, I suppose mm-hmm. that's why we would have the exoskeletons, too, is like we'd all get our own shields, and then we'd just bash each other a lot more to see like what letter should come first in the alphabet, you know, that kind of thing. It would be a necessity. All right. Cool. So we're at human society, unable to go to a buffet, yes. but advantages for sports and fist fights. Okay. Okay. Now we what have come changes? to the eyeballs. The eyeballs would not be here where they normally are. I'm gesturing to where my eyeballs are. They would be on stalks and they would be round. Could I look and around corners? They don't bend. If you could stick like your little that. stalk around. They don't bend like that, but they swivel independently. And they provide pretty much a full field of view. Um, So that's one thing is I think cheating at games might be harder. So it's really hard to describe how mantis shrimp probably see because we as humans cannot physically imagine it. Um, So there are humans have three photoreceptor cells. Mantis shrimp have 12 to 16 the physical construction of their eye is so much more complex, but also they see a lot more types of light than we do. And so because they don't have a humongous brain to process all that information, the the way they've worked that out, they they would have had to have a huge brain. So instead their eyes do a lot of the pre-processing before the information ever even gets to the brain. So they have these really complicated eyes that act independently of one another, that do some pre-analysis. Because I was thinking, when I first started reading about eyes, I was like, oh, well, we would all be depressed and have ADHD and all this stuff because we're seeing too many things. But then our brains have compensated by making the eyes do some work. So I guess we'd all have eye fatigue. Oh, wow. Can you imagine sitting at a desk job on looking at a computer all day with that amount of eye stuff going well, on? I also I feel like computers oh. would be so boring, oh, right? Yeah. Because because we have the three receptors of red, mm-hmm. green and blue computer pixels, when you zoom in, are just 
little red light, little green light, little yeah. blue light, you know, that lights up right. with different values and then zoomed out, it looks like a color, right? Yeah. But a mantis shrimp would be like, this sucks. There's only red, green, and blue. <laughs> and like, what about my other nine uh, cones or whatever that need to be stimulated? There's yes. nothing See, for but that. If, It'd be but boring. if they're doing the pre-processing up on the stalks, then maybe maybe it's like plugging a 8K camera into like a computer from the 80s that just does green. <laughs> so like their the camera is maybe. processing a whole bunch of stuff and then they just plug it into an e-ink display and they're like, "Look, I can I can see the picture. It's fine." Cuz their brain is like, "I don't need all that info." So I was thinking, I, th- I thought about sitting down at a desk job and looking at a computer, and then I decided that the billionaires of the mantis shrimp human world would be the ones like James Cameron and the ones making like VR stuff, because Ooh. then those people could make like independent, like different things for your different eyeballs, and then you would feel all like euphoric and it would be like a drug. Those would be like the drug dealer millionaires, billionaires. Of the shrimp wow. human world. And you could you could put on this mantis shrimp VR and you're like, wow, I felt like I was actually underwater. Right, using all diving. of my photoreceptor cells. Just like my ancestors used <laughs> yeah. to. Wow. <laughs> Back when we lived in the ocean. <laughs> mm, mama mantis. Grandmama mantis. <laughs> they also can see polarized light. And we don't even know what that means. They are the only animal that we know of that can see polarized light. So if you don't know what polarized light is, think about a light beam as like fuzzy with a bunch of different light waves that are pointing in all different directions. And so they squiggle like some up and down, some sideways and some like diagonally. And so they're just squiggly light beams, you know, that come together to make what we see. Polarized light happens, for example, when light passes through a specific type of material or if it bounces off of a really flat reflective something. So often people will wear polarized sunglasses when they work on the ocean, which is why I know about polarized light, because sunlight that bounces off the top of a flat body of water will come back all the waves of light will be going like the same way hmm. because mm-hmm. everything that bounces same. back has bounced off that same oriented flat surface. And so polarized sunglasses work by kind of canceling out that one type of like that one direction. I like light thing yeah. coming. Yes. Most of the, most of the fuzz, right. And they yes. only let like a polar yes. light wave through like a polar plane. So it reduces a ton yes. of the light cool. yeah. except yes. Yeah, and they are the only animal so, that we know of that can do this. So they're constantly wearing shades, too. They're like, cool. Or the, they can, no, they, more accurately, they can differentiate between polarized and non-polarized light. Yes. So they can look at something and Be know like, that light's messy. if it's a reflection Ugh. or not. That light's a messy. mess. This light over here, <laughs> organized, <laughs> beautiful. Get your Just another together. way to subdivide <laughs> yeah. the population. <laughs> so a mantis shrimp, when a mantis shrimp looks in a mirror, it looks different than uh, it does to us, or that it does in real life. Like a mantis shrimp would be yes. able to tell the difference between a reflection of a mantis shrimp of itself and like a real other mantis shrimp. They would, wow. the light would look different that's to cool. them. Never thought about yes, that. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's why it's hard to describe how they see because I don't really know what humans would be like if we could see all that stuff. Like, would we still have I think we, ADHD? I think we have that superpower already because, like, when I look in a mirror, I see, like, a gorgeous, handsome man. <laughs> and I know that's not the case. That's not true, When well, my wife looks in the mirror, she's, like, so unhappy. And I'm like, what mirror are 
were you using? Because like you look amazing. Aww. Why? What do you mean? Aww, like cute. I don't look. And Aww, yeah, your pre-processing exactly. has marked her as beautiful. Exactly. So the mantis shrimp, the eyes do that. What we do psychologically already, which is like look in a mirror and see something else entirely. That's a nice thought. So we're there I like already. That thought. We've got that superpower. So that's actually a great transition into um, category three that I want to talk about, which is uh, love and mating. So, <laughs> so, I mean, okay, so let me start Julian, by saying... Julian, 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 do your French poem again. <laughs> She's so beautiful. And that is not my pre-processing. <laughs> if I could reach out and touch her, but I only hurt her with my <laughs> cavitation bubbles. I can do <laughs> I can reach her from afar. <laughs> I know it is not. Zero thing. I am not looking at her. I am looking at myself. I long to take her to a buffet. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's tough dating as a mantis shrimp, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue, oh, Virginia. Please elaborate. <laughs> yes. Did we derail you oh, a little no, bit? This is exactly what I was here for. First section fighting. Now I'm here for this. For the loving. So, First we fight and then we make up. So for those of you who have never seen a shrimp move through the water, they have almost a lobster tail looking thing at the end. It's almost like a fan. And what they do is they curl it under quickly like a dog paddle motion, but it's from their literal butt. And so, first of all, humans that have mantis shrimp capabilities are going to move by twerking. Hey! Is what I decided. I already do. So there's that. Yes. It's true. <laughs> I don't. And then, the polarized light thing, we're not exactly sure why they're able to see polarized light, but some people think it's maybe because... Polarized light could be used for sexual signaling and secret communication. I know. Or should I say, <laughs> I turned my head and I did it again. So Why are you turning your head? Because it would be polar. It's a different direction. Oh, but it I can filters. see all the polars. I don't need you to turn your head. That's true. Well, I'm wearing sunglasses, and when he did that, he disappeared. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> I couldn't see him anymore. His light came in in a different plane, and he's invisible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mantis shrimp also fluoresce while they are mating. Same. No, I did not know this about mantis shrimp. They glow? <laughs> That's cool. Yes. What? But while they How? are mating. How? Like a lightning bug? Or like uh, Oh, what is fluorescence? Is it, I mean, is it like a the, bacteria? Not the how, like, mechanically. I mean, like, how? how do, what does it look like? What does it look like? Oh, I mean, it's fluorescent patterns. And so I'm guessing that it would be, and I have not looked up a video, so this is a guess. But my guess is like, you know how like squid and octopus, it's usually not just like, hello, I've changed from red to blue as an octopus, but it's kind of like rippling. You can get some mm, rippling more effects. cuddlefishy. I'd, something like that is what I imagine because it described it as fluorescent patterns. Hmm. Cool. So do you know if it's like a bacterial colony that's making the fluorescence? That's I usually how it works in like do. lightning bugs and other like glowing fish. It's like some bacteria that makes a fluorescent product, right? There's like some symbiotic relationship. But like yeah, again, we already thing. have we already have bacteria living in us in our gut and stuff. So that's not new. It would just be glowy sometimes. We would mm. just have ooh, <laughs> but when we're getting it on. <laughs> 
But I'm gonna bring this back to reality because getting it on for mantis shrimp leads to mantis shrimp babies. And this is where society would be very different. Mm. So some types of mantis shrimp lay two clutches of eggs. The, the girl, the female, will lay two clutches of eggs. One will be for the male partner to watch and one will be for her to watch. So that whole like division of labor thing that is a problem in some places for some people, like deal with it. Wow. Because <laughs> yeah. you've got your cool. eggs and I've got mine. How? Everybody's a single parent. <laughs> How modern yes. of these shrimp. I know. Right? And then guess what? They let them be plankton for three months <laughs> before they're even baby shrimp. So you guard your eggs and you have to do the whole egg thing and then you are done. You don't have to like deal with crying babies or changing mantis shrimp twerky diapers. Like you just they're just gone. I mean they're imagine a society where around. like okay the baby comes out of the egg and we just like let it go roam free in the wild for a while. Oh my gosh. And then what? Like eventually it just grows up and decides to get a desk job and make VR games? Like how does that work? Where do we yes. how do we get to the middle part? That is the billionaire way. Probably gets you a get lot the of Manta Shrimp College in its youth. I think it's like, you know, I, I think it's actually probably a lot like Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. They're all just off fighting each other, doing their like ca- cavitational bubble thing. They're bomb bubbles. So and then by, they all get like, eaten by stuff. The big ocean cage yeah. match. The, the, age, <laughs> the ocean is a cage match, like a it continuous, is. like yeah. WWE <laughs> Raw chairs and ladders. Like, the ocean's nuts, you guys. Yeah. So the next time you're watching one of those nature videos, everybody loves David Attenborough stuff for good reason. Mm-hmm. But every every David Attenborough video is like, see the peaceful sailfish. It is beautiful. And oh, no, <laughs> it's going to get eaten. And then it does. And it's like, now we're on a penguin. Look how beautiful. Oh, yeah. no, it's going to get eaten. And then it does. It's just everything dying we, one after the other. We can't watch those in my household. We were trying to watch like a recent one, Our Planet 2, and it had like the cutest little albatross chick waiting for its parents through like snow oh, no. and rain. <laughs> just like, please come back. And then it was like trying to steal food from another albatross species and the parent was like no and David Attenborough was like but this may have saved its life and then it zooms out and the island's just covered in dead birds that have eaten plastic (gasps) and you're like wow this got horrifically depressing in a hurry yeah yeah Yeah. so we can't watch those anymore so mantis shrimp documentaries probably be like oh the baby oh cage match oh my god toddler fight club (laughs) it'd be very metal exactly yeah but the humans don't care or sorry the parents don't care they're good they've released their babies um and then the last thing i wanted to tell y'all is um cancer would be totally different because mantis shrimp can see cancer Oh. Is this related to the polarized light thing? Polarized light reflects differently from cancerous and healthy tissue. So all of us would like, if we had cancer on the outside, we'd be like, oh, get that stuff off. You you're cured. Like, but cancer on the inside. Yeah. Womp womp. You'd just right. be walking down the street and be like, melanoma. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Dr. Mantis Shrimp would see the tumor and then punch it and it would be fighting cancer. Ooh. Or maybe Dr. Mantis Shrimp, because he's of a higher class, would be a spearer. And he would go, I've learned to control my spear so (laughs) deftly. (laughs) And he would just be like, you have a melanoma. He'd be a good surgeon. (laughs) Mantis surgeon. Okay. Private eye. We'd have more stratified society based on punchers and spears. Buffets would be out of the question. (laughs) Twerking would be the normal mode of transportation. It'd be Uh impossible to sneak up on you. So assassination, I think, would end for good, which is great. Thank you for tackling this. I appreciate that. I went through a mantis shrimp, like, 
fiending phase years ago because I like learned that they existed and I was like what is this animal and I have never been satisfied with the amount of mantis shrimp content on the internet there's like so little and I always want more they're so fascinating and so beautiful and cool yeah I I absolutely love them so when you tackled this I was really excited to be like elaborate how we would how society would change for us So thank you. Appreciate it. It would be great. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with our last question. Welcome back to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. We've gone through Virginia's question on if humans had mantis shrimp abilities and my own on where did the order of the alphabet even come from? And that leaves us finally with Trace. Trace, what was your question this week? My question comes from Virginia. I know her. Ha. Yeah. And she (laughs) asked, where is the internet? Wi-Fi? Does it bounce off me? Does it go here? And she pointed to herself. She wanted to know, basically, not not the physical structure of the internet, but more like the the kind of ether structure, the ethereal. Spiritual. Yeah. yeah, The spiritual (laughs) structure of the internet. (laughs) Can you tell me, uh, Virginia, how you came up with this question? Uh, I was watching TikTok in the pandemic, as many of us did, and there was a, a sound prompt that was like, I'm over here wondering, like she's looking at, at, or everybody's looking at her, but I'm thinking about, and I was like, what do I have? What have I always just been like laying around thinking about? And I remember when I was a sophomore in college, like just sitting back in my seat when I was studying abroad in Mexico, I was like, I don't know, I was working on something and I was like, isn't it cool? Like I'm out here in the middle of the desert, we have internet. And I was like, you know, just like Gmails floating through the air or whatever. And then I was like, wait, are they floating through me? And like ever since then, I have just every now and then I'll be like, I'm probably like somebody's emails like passing through my heart right now. Oh my God. Like, All mm. the dirty pictures that are being transmitted <laughs> through me. <laughs> Oh, no, I regret going down this path. <laughs> I mean, that you you don't have it entirely wrong. I mean, the, oh, the, the no. way. The, <laughs> so yes and no. Yes and no. Well, let me let me get to it. OK, first, um, your question was sort of multi-parted and uh, like we're not talking about the physical Internet, you know, cable servers, data centers, backbones and all of that. Um, what we're talking about is. Wi-Fi. Does anybody know, and this is sort of a trick question because I don't want you to look too ridiculous. What does Wi-Fi mean? Wireless. Fireless. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. You guys got it. 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 How do we make sure, are people going to be worried it's going to start a fire? No, it's okay. We'll name it. Fireless. Fireless. Yeah, there's less fire than other forms of Fireless, Tom. Fireless. So it's okay. It's Early safe. models were very dangerous. You know? so, <laughs> they were just Y, and they were just yeah. cash fire. Why? That net did not work out. That's why we have those cuneiform tablets the fire. <laughs> in the library yeah. in Alexandria. The original, the last thing they carved was a Wi-Fi router, but it was a Y router. <laughs> That's why Y comes at the end of the alphabet. They were just getting oh to gosh. it, and then it oh, caught no. fire. Oh, oh no. So the trick question is, it doesn't mean anything. Oh. Dang it. What? I'm, <laughs> I'm back to fighting mode. No. That happens so often and I hate it. <laughs> Why would you make so, that up? So, okay. So there's a uh, 802.11 is the name of the Wi-Fi standard. It's from a committee of of a group of standard makers. That was the 800 second committee or whatever. And so they cre- they came up with the standard for Wi-Fi and they needed something 
that would kind of embody it or show it off. So they hired a branding company named Interbrand, who's invented a variety of different brands. I'm not going to list them all because why give them free advertising? Uh, And (laughs) the little yin-yang symbol and the word Wi-Fi doesn't mean anything, but was a brand that was come up with that is essentially like, okay, you're on Wi-Fi. It had to be kind of cute and easy to say and something that didn't have any other meanings. However, (gasps) when they released the branding, the people that created the standard added a line below it that said to like do for something about wireless fidelity which confused the branding because it didn't mean anything so some people believe that it means wireless fidelity but it actually does not it doesn't mean anything it's a case of like the 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 little acronym or whatever came first you know i feel like that happens in science all the time like there's so many (laughs) missions and stuff where they come up with an acronym and then they're like we got to make this work you know like We, and they, so it, they just jam it in there. My favorite joke I ever saw about this was like a guy who heard an acronym that sucked. And he's like, well, I've got my own organization called Stop Effing Cheating at Acronyms, Melanie. And he just highlighted like the eat and the me in cheating and Melanie. And that's his organization is Eat Me. Yeah. No, that, I mean, yeah, no, this is not like that. I'm, but So I'm a science communicator and I'm thinking about things from the point of view of the ad agency because that's more like the work that I do. And I'm thinking like you get hired by this thing that is literally going to like revolutionize, change the whole world and the way it works. And you're like, here is our branding package. Like, thank you for allowing us to be part of this endeavor. And then the first thing the client does is they ignore what you told them to do and they just change it. <laughs> they add their own stuff and it's like, we, you hired us to make a product the, and we did. I mean, you changed it. the that's hubris very of the ad agency <laughs> to think that engineers would settle for, it doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> engineers. That would drive them insane. Yeah. Yes. That's a good point. That's a good uh, point. It's not acceptable. I mean, they're, the engineer, I think the consortium is the IEEE, right? IEEE. Yeah. yeah like, they're, they're a bunch of, bunch of engineers. Things must be logical. If you're going to say, it doesn't really mean anything, they're going to be like, nah. It means wireless fidelity me. now. Wireless Bet. fidelity. <laughs> right. I will say, Trace, you said it had to be catchy. Uh, when I lived in Spanish-speaking countries, everybody calls it Weefy. 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 I, I love Weefy. Weefy. So. It stands for Weaverless Fidelity. <laughs> Weaverless Fidelity. We are freaking on the internet. <laughs> Let me just walk into the Weefy over here. <laughs> So the internet, as we know it, is much more complex than the Wi-Fi, which is really just like the last mile of the internet, or the first mile, depending on your perspective. Uh, And so for that, we needed a little refresher on spectrum, which luckily Virginia talked about a little bit in her answer, and just kind of how light works, right? It's an energy wave, it's all over, it's around us, it surrounds us and penetrates us and, you know, Uh, binds the galaxy together and all that. Uh, Like duct tape. Yeah. Like love. Like the force. Uh, And so... It's a the there's I couldn't find a good mnemonic for this. If you have one, let me know. But it's it's the all of the spectrum is radio waves, microwaves, infrared, visible, ultraviolet, X rays, and gamma rays. And so that's this. Think of it as like a, a rectangle or just a line. And at one end is radio waves, and the other end is gamma rays, and everything else is in the middle. But that means that it's a limited resource. It is not unlimited. We can't have you know radio waves that are longer than the universe, and we can't have them shorter than the ability to measure. Right? You 
you can't move them around in the ability to like gamma rays can be very short but at some point they're just on top of each other so it's a specific set of spectrum they're physical things they fly around the universe and we can measure them so with the right device you can make a wave and you can use that to send a message think of like literally flashing a flashlight to do morse code that's basically what wi-fi is but it's not visible to us so it's flashing these codes to your computer but it's doing that using sine waves that are timed out. So it can make the wave kind of move in a different way and say like, this is a zero, this is a one. And that's how it's con communicating around your house. That's the, the modulation, wow. right? Like radio works in the same way where there's like a carrying wave at a certain frequency. And then if you just like mess with the frequency a little bit, when it gets to where it's going, you can like separate that carrying wave from the frequency like changes. And then you get like music or talking right. or whatever. And you right? filter it out to get. So the receiver and the transmitter work at the same uh, bandwidth or at the, at the same, you know, frequency in order to get that. And yeah. so let's Which, say we're using 900 megahertz, which is uh, within the radio bandwidth. And so we want to make it, there's a problem with doing exactly what Julian just mentioned, and that is only one person can do that at a time in a specific area. So that's where we get Wi-Fi having trouble with lots of different huh. devices all in one place. Or oh. if you think of it like you're driving in a car and a radio station you've got on the radio starts to get weaker and you start to hear two radio stations at once and then you start to hear the new radio station as it gets stronger and stronger. That happens with Wi-Fi everywhere there's a Wi-Fi router. Uh, so what the Wi-Fi is, is actually like a, a radio signal. So 900 megahertz is actually is, is like old school Wi-Fi. And then there's 2.4 gigahertz, then there's 5 gigahertz, and we're moving into 6 gigahertz as well. And I'm going to explain why all of those numbers are important in a minute. But uh, the radio waves are not lightning bolts. They're this constant bath of radio. It's omnidirectional. So if I have an antenna, I am broadcasting out in every direction. And then it's picked up by other antennas because it in every direction, no matter where you're standing relative to the tower, you're picking up that radio wave. Um, and so they can overlap with each other. They can get in each other's way. They can mess up the signal. A more powerful one in the exact same frequency will overwhelm the weaker one. And so eventually we had to figure out how to subdivide this kind of ethereal idea of spectrum into all these different places so that only certain people were doing certain things at certain times and in certain ways. So the first person to use radio waves to do this, of course, was Marconi, you know, Guglielmo Marconi. What is happening? You're gonna make the internet internet mad. A lot of people think it's Tesla who's like the father of radio, but I yeah, I think I think that's just like recent Tesla adoration, which don't get me wrong, I love Nikolai Tesla, but <laughs> I studied radio in college and everything's like, it's it's Guglielmo Marconi. Like, and, he's the guy yeah. who transmitted signals and, like, figured he out how to send able them to and prove receive it. them. Right. Yeah. And he proved that he could do it and he did it in front of other people. So, like, maybe somebody invented it before. Maybe Tesla had a working model. But did he, you know, go and transmit something and get public to recognize it? Maybe someday we'll acknowledge otherwise. But right now, Marconi. So, if... <laughs> He did it for Morse code where he transmitted, you know, over oceans and through the air in this magical way. Do you know who did it for computers? Oh, um, uh, over over Wi-Fi? 
Yeah. Over, the well, first like Wi-Fi, the first wireless computer network. Any guesses? Oh, I mean, James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> what can't he do? <laughs> wow, what a hero! It's got to be some sort of scientific implementation. I mean, I know CERN had a big part of doing like yeah, uh, the, was it weapons? The web, right? Go they on. did the World Wide Web. Yeah. Um, but the University of Hawaii oh. is a collection oh. of university buildings spread across a state with oceans in the middle and mountains in the way. Ooh. They have campuses on Kauai, Maui, two on Oahu in Honolulu and Hilo. They're all within about 300 kilometers of each other, but they're far enough away that they didn't want to do point-to-point, you know, line-of-sight style, like microwave emitters that can pick each yeah. other up um, because they have to be on a straight line to each other. And they didn't want to just run new wires under the ocean because that's expensive. But they And they had telephones, but that would take you, you know, forever to transmit data. So in 1971, they invented AlohaNet, which is where oh. they designed a radio transmitter and attached it to a terminal, like a computer terminal, and so you could connect two terminals wirelessly. You had a radio transmitter receiver, and it would send wow. data to another radio transmitter receiver 100 kilometers away, or about 62 miles away. They should have called it Wi-Hi for Wireless oh, Hawaii. Man. Oh, gosh. Oh, opportunity missed. Wow. <laughs> missed opportunity. Wow. Wi-Hi. That's so good. It's harder to say. My mouth does not like or it. Hi, why? Hi, why? Hi, why? Hi, No, that's already a thing. <laughs> nah, dang it. <laughs> Aloha Net was, they, they debated for a long time how to make it, and they decided the best way to do it is a way that we still use today. They use, oh. they call it pure Aloha or like, they have segmented Aloha or whatever it's called. And in, this is the basis of like LAN and Wi-Fi communications used today still. So what happens is a specific frequency, like the radio from AlohaNet was 407.350 megahertz. It would transmit some data, a very small amount of it, and it would use that kind of modulation to get a zero and a one. And then the other transmitter would pick it up and they would use uh, what's called phase key shifting is the sine and cosine waves in the signal to make those zeros and ones. Oh, yeah. You don't have to explain that. Totally. I mean, I don't even I know, know that. Absolutely. I know. Of course we know what phase key shifting I don't even is. know what it means. So what in, I put in my notes is complex math plus clocks. <laughs> Bomb bubbles. It's Bam, very, it. It, so it needs, you need a very precise clock. Uh, the more precise, obviously, the better. You're going to get less problems. But then they are shifting the signal around, similar to what Julian said earlier, where you're essentially like modulating the signal a little bit. This is a one. This is a zero. You only have to do that. You don't have to make it too complicated. But it is actually way more complicated than that because there's sometimes a zero one and sometimes there's a one one and sometimes there's a zero zero and you can make quad modulation and then you can make octomodulations because then you just pick little packets of data. It's like subdividing binary into smaller, almost like an alphabet. Anyway, Mm. the genius was actually from this AlohaNet that they used something called random access channels or random access protocol, and that would manage packet collisions. So let me define both of those for you. So essentially the computer is like, I need to send this text message. And so it sends it out. And doesn't care if somebody's already talking on the on the the wireless or not. It just sends it, and if it doesn't get a if it get, bounces back or messes up the signal that's already there, doesn't care. The receiver 
will acknowledge the receipt of the message every time. So if it doesn't get an acknowledgement that the message was received, then it just oh. tries to send it again. But it waits a random amount of time in between. Now let's say somebody Whoa. else is already using the transmission. The new transmission would cause a collision and mess up part of its message. The receiving computer tells the, the sender, hey, I didn't get this part, but I got all these other parts. And then the, the other sender tries to send it again. But it waits every now and then if it's sending a lot of data, it'll wait and give a pause and over time, if you think about it, over time, the randomness of it fills up all of that space and you end up being able to send more or less constant streams of data between lots wow. of different computers over a single wire or a single uh, radio frequency. The specific time that I am talking about is in picoseconds. So when I say you need a very precise clock and when I say things happen at random, it's not like every 10 seconds they send it, right? It's every trillionth of a second they're trying and waiting random amounts of trillionths of seconds. So I'm sending you a bunch of data, then I, I pause for a few trillionths of a second, and maybe someone else jumps in there. So I'd, I like to think of it like going through a really busy door as opposed to a train. So a segmented or like a, a managed aloha would be a train where they just get onto the train at the specific places where we've allowed them to do that. Maybe they don't fill the whole train. That's actually how cell phones work. But Wi-Fi works with just like a busy doorway. And sometimes people have to wait until they can go through because there's a whole school group that wanted to give all its data out there. Uh, and a trillionth of a second is a millionth of a millionth. So we're talking very, very fast. They can try a lot of different things all at once. And the randomness, it, it just it just works. It just works out. So they invented this way of randomly sending the data and they call them Aloha channels. Uh, a pure Aloha allows these two messages, essentially a message goes out. If it gets through, the receiver says, got it. If it doesn't go out or it gets garbled, they tell you, oh, some of it didn't quite work. That's okay. Uh, and then they try it again and the host number two just waits. And this is why spectrum is important. So radio transmitters have to be super precise. There's a guy named Senator Ted Stevens of Alaska. Oh, uh, this guy. <laughs> he, I was wondering when his comments would come up. <laughs> Go on, tell us what Ted Stevens thinks the internet is. He's in a congressional hearing, and he says that he's a senator from Alaska, so he knows a lot about pipelines, and the internet is made of a series of tubes. Just a series of tubes, baby. And he was universally panned for saying so, uh, and then indicted in 2010 on corruption, unrelated. Oh, uh, oh so, unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you wondered how he really looked. I can't imagine saying something so wrong. I, <laughs> I having it not be related. Charge. He was talking about this because he was comparing this idea of an oil pipeline to the idea of a content pipeline. Even though he was made fun of, they're not actually that different because you can only use a wire one thing at a time can go down it. You can't send two messages in the same wire at the same time because it's like trying to have two people talking at the same time. It gets the it gets real messy. Yeah, what is a wire but a tube for electrons, you know? What is a wire Whoa. but a tube? Mm. So mm. right now we mostly use copper wires, but you can use, this also applies to fiber optics. And they can send one thing at a time with a burst of activity and a pause. That burst is that chunk or packet of data. And then they wait to allow someone else to kind of jump in. And you can do this with lots and lots of computers. And the problem becomes that collisions happen more and more often the more people are trying to talk. So you end up needing more and more bandwidth. So if you think of old school Wi-Fi, a 2.4 gigahertz 
connection. Your microwave in your house operates at a similar frequency and can mess up the Wi-Fi around it when it's on. Wow. And so they needed to find new bandwidth to make into Wi-Fi. A weather buoy in the Atlantic sends a signal at exactly 401 megahertz. And the reason it can do that is because the FCC and a UN group that actually oversees Spectrum globally has all agreed no one else is going to use that. And it's important not just because of a weather buoy in the Atlantic, because there are thousands of them, but GPS satellites broadcast at exactly 1575.42 megahertz. And your car tires, they send messages to the pressure gauge in your car, in your wire in wireless parts of the car at 315 megahertz. An airplane pings its location to the FAA at exactly 1,090 megahertz. And you wouldn't want those things to get gummed up by other people using Spectrum that they're not supposed to, which is why everyone has to be licensed and why you have on the bottom of like even a Wii controller or like a Nintendo Switch controller has a little FCC symbol and says that it's guaranteed to only use the bit of Spectrum that it's allowed to use to communicate with your Nintendo, which is pretty freaking cool. So Wi-Fi, as a spectrum is 900 megahertz, 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz, and we're opening up 6 gigahertz. So so this is obviously really complicated. So the FCC has this bandwidth allocation chart. So go ahead and look at this. Oh. Oh my god. That's so much going on here. I feel like if I were a mantis shrimp, this would be easier to read. (laughs) There's so many colors. Yeah. So if you were to try and find Wi-Fi, just Wi-Fi on this group, so if you, we'll put the link in the show notes, it's called United States Frequency Allocations, the radio spectrum, and it has a color legend of what looks like, see, three times, maybe 10, so 30 or so different colors. And those colors all indicate different things from like land mobile, land mobile satellite, radio location, space operation, space research. There's sections carved out for radio telescopes, for maritime, for, there's a huge blue chunk for broadcasting AM radio, another big blue chunk for television, and it's really, really, really cool uh, to look at this and try and find stuff that you use on a daily basis, Um, and it's all here. It's not labeled, by the way, Wi-Fi, if you're specifically looking for that. But if you go in here, you can see the little pieces that are used for Wi-Fi. Yeah, I'm struck by how little is labeled as not allocated. Yeah. Yeah. We're using a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, it's a limited resource. There's not an unlimited amount of this. So not only do we have to get very precise transmitters and receivers that are able to only hear and see the bandwidth that they need, but we also have to not have them so imprecise or sloppy that they bleed over into other, other things and mess them up. It's very crazy. But this is a limited resource within a geographical area, right? So, like, stuff that's broadcasting in Australia right now does not overlap with this stuff from the U.S., yeah. at least some of it, I right? mean, some of it, yes, that that's true. So there, there's a global group uh, at the U.N. that manages frequencies and manages bandwidth, but every country sort of gets to run their own bandwidth. So, like, Wi-Fi 6E is going to use one bandwidth in the United States, and I think it's going to use a different bandwidth in China a different group Whoa. of spectrum so that the phones won't work. But if you think about it this way, remember when cell phones, when we first started going global with cell phones, you could buy one phone and use it everywhere in the world. That wasn't about spectrum. I mean, it was a little, but it was mostly about how the trains worked, how the Aloha worked. 
And so in some places, the aloha was managed and like segmented like a train. And in some places, it was like a door. So imagine if you're used to one and you're going to a country and they're just like throwing random data at you. And you're like, my (laughs) cell phone doesn't know what's happening. I don't know what to do. (laughs) That's what. That's my favorite part about this whole thing is I sit here and I can't see it. Right. I can't see what's going on. But you are describing the physical things that are invisible. Yeah happening all around us all the time that we can't see i this is this is what magic is it's all just energy man man. (laughs) right it's a it's a vibrations in electric and magnetic fields man it's all around us that's what it is you know preach brother it's an electric and a magnetic field you know both vibrating and causing each other to vibrate and propagating this wave it's so cool it's really neat but yeah it's it's everywhere all the time all the time of course I'm sure that leads to health concerns among people, right? Excellent transition, Julian. You saw exactly where I was going. So the Wi-Fi is all around us. Like I said, it's surrounding us, penetrating us, binding the LC together, blah, blah, blah. But it is not hurting us. The, ra- the radiation isn't hurting us. Maybe the internet is in some way. <laughs> but the radiation itself is okay. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Yes. The, the radiation, the Wi-Fi itself, the physical waves coming out of your router are not hurting you. And we can tell this because it's one, it's called non-ionizing radiation. So a microwave that uses microwaves are part of the spectrum. And I mentioned them earlier, you can use them to communicate as well. They're usually a higher power microwave put way up high. And they aren't put way up high necessarily for your safety. They're put way up high because it can only go in one straight line. So they need to be up high enough to get over the curve of the earth so they can see another one. And they point at it and they just shoot those microwaves and they're precisely aligned with each other. Um, However, if you were to say, turn the power up on those microwaves, you're essentially doing the same thing as a microwave oven. It's just a high powered wave. It's not about the wave itself or what it's made of. It's about the power inside of it. And so Wi-Fi signals are non-ionizing radiation, meaning they're not powerful enough to hurt your DNA. Um, It's just high energy. Wi-Fi output is like 0.1 watts. It's just like yeah. sl- like not like such a fraction of energy the, from even a light bulb. The ionization works right by like giving the electrons in your atoms more so much energy that they leave the atom and turn the atom into an ion. Yeah. Hence ionizing. But like above the visible spectrum, the waves just don't carry enough energy to do that. Yeah. To without like, a lot of a lot of power or a lot of like really specific technology. So like even though the word microwave oven is used, they are not the same they're they're the same waves, but they're not the same thing as a microwave transmitter or Well the microwave ovens are just what they're doing instead of like adding energy to electrons and getting them to yeah. rip off, they're making um, water molecules wiggle around, right? Because right? the, the wave is like an alternating wave. So the, the water in stuff flips back and forth, and that creates friction, which warms stuff up. But it's right. not like giving energy in a way that is right. damaging or, or alters the particles involved right yeah we we use colloquially like microwave as in oh it's adding heat it's not it's just gener it's the the water molecules are generating it's the jiggling heat. It's, it's just, just jiggling, jiggling around and we also call it nuking but it has it does not have enough radiation in order to do that um huh. so it the other thing about this and virginia i'm glad you mentioned the physicality of it is you can do the math really 
pretty simply and find out exactly how large a wave is in terms of size. So if you think of a string or a yardstick or whatever, some waves are very short, you know, in, in millimeter range, you know, but 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi signal, the most common, longest used Wi-Fi, is about 12 and a half centimeters uh, for a wave. And, the re and a big oh. wave like that can get through a lot of things, can go through walls, it can go through windows without getting bent too much because it's so large. Um, and oh. that's why it's so useful for, and broadcasts further, whereas if you go to a 5G network, maybe you've been at your parents' house or you're at your own house and you walk around and your 5G network drops out, but the other Wi-Fi is still there. And that's because the 5G is a shorter wave. It gets bound up in things like walls and other people. And then, of course, you have the same in cell phone problems. You have these newer cell phones with 5G, and they are shorter waves than the older versions of cell phones. And so it's just things get physically blocked by things as simple as rain um, or other walls or mountains, of course, if you're talking in like really big distances. Um, so with humans, you know, we're, our heads, 12 and a half centimeters is not that far, but it's far enough that it could go around you but it could also go go kind of through you, kind of. But you're it's really going still kind of around you. Uh, so it's not really like getting through your body per se. You're attenuating it, in a, but it's bathed everywhere. So you might block the radio from going literally like a centimeter from your back or like just behind you. But it's also going to your sides. It's also going up and down. It's a three-dimensional thing. So it's going in every direction. So you're, you can't really easily measure human attenuation of these waves, but we do do it. Uh, and so I found, I found that pretty interesting. And just because you're a marine biologist, I looked and uh, it does not work underwater, which I'm sure you know, because the water <laughs> itself blocks uh, the wave. Actually, at 2.4 gigahertz, it blocks it really well. So you put like a, a cell phone in a cup of water, you know, it's not going to it's not going to get a, a, any signal at all because it's all being blocked. Even if the electronics were surviving yeah. in the cup of water. Yeah. Even I if they were. I will remember that if I ever turn into a mantis shrimp. Yeah. Oh, that would change our society, too. <laughs> <laughs> so where is the Internet? The Internet is all around us. All the time. It always has been since the invention of radio, which has now been hundreds of years. We're just using a very small slice of radio waves, a very small slice that amongst all of this spectrum uh, to communicate with the other computers using a system invented in Hawaii, which is just great. A little aloha for your, for your afternoon. Wow. It's all around us. Aloha. Cool. Are we saying goodbye? I think we're saying goodbye. Yeah. I think we, I think, yeah, it's time to say aloha. We said aloha at the start, and now it's time to say aloha. Uh, Virginia, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciated you tackling uh, one of these listener questions. Thanks for having me. Virginia, where can people find you after this podcast if they want? If they want to do the social thing, I am at VGW Shooty. That's S-C-H-U-T-T-E. You can also look me up on my website. That's virginiashooty.com. Great. She's a great science communicator, and she's really awesome. Oh, I'm thanks. so glad that you were able to join us. Julian, <laughs> do you have any plugs, anything going on in your life you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm craving pie all of a oh, sudden, yeah. so I think I'm going to try and go get some pie, maybe from the good part of New Jersey. <laughs> Yay, that's my part. <laughs> Yay, but that's about it. That's the best thing going on in my life. Yeah, You can find Julian on the internet as well. You can go to our website, That's Absurd Show, and find me as well. I'm Trace. Uh, you can go to any of the podcast apps that you have to listen to the show or share it with your friends. Please leave us a review if you listen to the show. We're getting a lot of viewer questions. We love seeing the reviews and the comments that people are leaving. Um, we're This is episode 10 y'all episode 
10 of our show. So we're still early, but we're learning a lot. So thanks so much for listening. Um, Again, make sure to like and subscribe and smash the like button and whatever they're saying these days. And thanks again for listening to That's Absurd. Please elaborate.